dismissed to Children's Church now. Thankful for our praise team. Are you all thankful for them? Our kids are excited to run back there. They were screaming. Anybody excited for the message? Y'all ready to scream? Yeah! (laughs) I wonder whose kid is yelling back there. Doesn't sound familiar to me at all. All right, as everybody gets... Settled back down. Uh, you are my king. You are my sovereign. You are my Lord. What does that uh, mean for us to testify that Jesus is our king? What demands is that place on your life? Ah, let's bow before him. Lord, we love you. We thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you have sent us a good king. A king who shepherds and guides us. Your son, Jesus. We thank you for him. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd be with us today as we look uh, to your word and Pay attention to uh, some of the teaching and instruction of, of our sovereign, of our Lord Jesus. Uh, I pray that uh, as we look to your word, that you would, uh, you would speak to us, Lord, providing us everything that we need. Lord, not only do we need practical equipping to be your disciples, shaped and formed to look like Jesus this week, but uh, we also come in here with various burdens. Uh, some of us come in with some, some, some glad-heartedness over some good things, some heavy-heartedness over some sad things. And Lord, through it all, we look to you to be the one who leads us and guides us and directs us, who ministers to us, who restores us, who fills us with that which we need so that we can live in love like Christ loved us. And so, Lord, we come to you and we say, uh, you know us, you know who we are. Lord, you know what's on our hearts and on our minds. You know those questions that we've asked you, those prayers that we've pleaded with you. And so, Lord, we pray and we ask that you would attend to us in every way that we need attention today. Lord, we pray all these things. And then, Lord, I pray for me. I pray that you would uh, be with me, that I would only speak that which is true. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, I'd speak that which is necessary. That I'd be led by you, Lord. Uh, I pray that uh, the words that I speak would not be my own. They would not be, uh, yeah. My own thoughts, feelings, opinions, concerns, but they would be those which your spirit, your spirit uh, inspires, Lord. Uh, God, I pray and I ask that uh, uh, everything that we receive from you, we will, uh, we will apply 
And I pray that everything that we say of you will be true uh, and, and worthy of who you are. God, I pray these things in Christ's mighty, resurrected name. Amen. So we have, over the last several weeks, we've been really kind of conceptually unpacking this idea that, um, that, uh, that life uh, the, as we know it, um, and then our faith um, in specific, is, is not rooted necessarily in these big, glamorous moments, um, and in uh, that, you know, like, God's call on our life is, 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 is not for you and I to kind of prove our faith by doing these ultra-radical, you know, uh, uh, Boldly dangerous, uh, uh, you know, just big, big actions. Um, some of us are called to do that. We talked about last week that there was this woman who, who, who uh, was led to uh, give her kidney to her best friend's brother. After the service, I was talking with Miss Ruth Boone and um, and one of their sons. Uh, Michael, whenever he, uh, several years ago, he was led to give his kidney to somebody who was in need. So, like, these things are amazing. They're wonderful. They're awesome. But, but, but there is a concern that I have pastorally. Uh, there's a concern that uh, I, I see not only that I have, but that I share. I see Jesus has this concern um, himself with his own miracles is that um, we tend to like the big glamorous stuff. And we tend to kind of wish away the mundane stuff. We tend to think, man, God really showed up in the big glamorous stuff. And we tend to think, where are you at? In the mundane. And so it's been, um, it, it's been uh, the, 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 the intent over the last several weeks to kind of unfold. We went through uh, the, how nature reveals, just how God works in nature by bringing the sun up each and every day. Um, that this declares God, God and his goodness and his mercy and his grace and that the sun comes up on everyone. It doesn't, it, it, it's not... It's not withholding from any, right? Uh, there, 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 there's only been a few times in, in history in which we could say that the sun was withholding from any. And we think about the Exodus story, right? There was that moment where, where, where all of Goshen was in light and all of Egypt was in darkness, right? Um, but, uh, but, but by and large, what God wants us to say, understand is that his grace, his goodness, his mercy, it, it shines abroad on everybody. And it does so without anybody having to do anything for it. Right? You and I don't get, you know, we, we don't get God's grace because we go and we say a certain number of our fathers or Hail Marys. We don't get God's grace because we recite the sinner's prayer 100% accurately. It was good whenever I said our fathers and Hail Marys. Was it okay whenever I said the sinner's prayer? Right? Uh, we don't get God's grace and mercy because we go through the baptismal waters. We don't get God's grace and mercy because, uh, you know, we subscribe to a set of laws, regulations. You don't get God's grace because you write, your Bible has the right three letters on the spine, right? You don't get God's grace because it has to be red letter edition. No. And so we've been out to set up this, this, this conceptual idea that this is, 
this is not only how God reveals himself in nature, but we can actually see Jesus in his ministry. There was some great consternation that he had whenever people were coming to him just to see a miracle. Because Jesus wasn't here just to perform miracles. In fact, what we find is that Jesus' miracles were supposed to testify that he is the divine son of God. He is God's promised Messiah for Israel. And not only is he the, the king, the ruler, the anointed one of Israel, but he is the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. And so whenever people started coming to Jesus just to get a miracle, Jesus said, whoa, go, whoa, go, calm down. I think you're missing the point here. In fact, Jesus would go on to teach that other than these, you know, huge ways in which God can work in the world, the kingdom actually comes about quite differently. You can... Join me in Matthew chapter number 13, and we could uh, see a couple of these, these parables, these stories that Jesus told what the kingdom of heaven was like. Matthew 13, verse number 31, says another parable, put Jesus forth unto them, saying, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, or the smallest of all seeds. Now, I will tell you, you might know that's not scientifically or technically accurate. There's actually smaller seeds. In the world that Jesus lived in, this was the smallest. So he was dealing with his contemporary culture, what they knew, and uh, he was using an illustration here. People would take these moments and go, see, that proves it. Uh, yeah, it proves that Jesus lived in a certain time and culture, didn't it? Uh, it's a small, small seed. And the kingdom of heaven is like one of these seeds, which seems, if you held it in your hand, almost imperceptible. Think about that. And then you throw it into the ground. And with a little fidget of your nose, a little alakazam, I say a little prayer, next day you know that tree is full grown, Right? No. It's uh, when it is grown. When it is grown. Let's sit in that for a minute. Uh, Brittany, are you real patient with your garden? No. <laughs> Why not? Because I'm not a patient person. <laughs> Brittany, uh, I, I, was it in COVID year that, we, that I first built the garden? Yeah, I took apart the gaga ball pit. Yeah, I made a gaga ball pit for my boys for Christmas uh, one year. And I actually, I recruited them to help me. I, I, I gave them this little ploy. I said, Santa Claus told me this was a Santa gift. And we do Santa gifts because, you know, I'm, 
not that uptight. So anyways, uh, we, we said, um, you know, uh, Santa uh, has uh, recruited me. He can't bring this on his sled. So he recruited me to help build the goggle ball pit. And, uh, and, and they got to help in this. And this was part of their Christmas gift. And they used it never. Uh, it never got seen to. Uh, it, it actually just became this kind of big muddy uh, slop pit in the back. Um, and so... Um, so yeah, so y'all remember whenever COVID hit and then uh, life stopped and then everybody was like, look at all these projects I have to do around my house. And so, you know, everybody was at Home Depot buying all the lumber and doing all the things and all the DIY projects came about. Well, we were part of that, part of that group. We got part of that trend. And um, so we built a, uh, a raised garden bed from the lumber that uh, was supposed to be for the boys' gaga ball pit. And, um, and I, I can tell you my wife loves the garden, um, and she, she, she likes to attend to it, but uh, whenever we're waiting for some herbs or from some tomatoes especially, squash, uh, any of those things, uh, there are moments whenever she just kind of loses all patience, and I've seen her several times uh, over the last couple of years um, just go out there and go, ah, it's not producing, and just rip it all up. <laughs> In fact, she did so one time. She threw, um, she threw one, of the, uh, one of the stalks of broccoli out, and wouldn't you know it, that like a few <laughs> months later, like a month later, that broccoli that she had just thrown out on the outside of the, uh, uh, on the, outside of the garden, uh, it, it took root, and it actually produced some uh, broccoli. She was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. And it was like, yeah. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we just wait. And so when it is grown, it speaks to us. Because when it is grown does not happen in a moment, in a flash, in an instant. When it is grown, it becomes just a little, a little spark of life then a little sapling and when it is grown, takes time. When it is grown, takes a little sun each and every day, a little water through each and every season. When it is grown. Oh, when it's grown, man, it's amazing, isn't it? When it's grown, it becomes this habitation. It, it not only produces herbs, but it also becomes this habitation for all kinds of wildlife, nature. It's pretty cool when it's grown. Now, he was speaking this to people who had very immediate expectations for the kingdom of God to come. They had these immediate expectations because for the better part of uh, 400 years... their nation had lost its sovereignty. Uh, they had gone from one uh, foreign uh, totalitarian uh, ruler to another foreign totalitarian ruler to another foreign totalitarian ruler. So they're not just thinking conceptually, they're thinking practically. They are wanting 
Not this kingdom of this mystical, one day it's going to happen, but they were wanting a kingdom that comes and that is here and that is now and that can be revealed by our king sitting on his throne and our nation not subject to taxation by another nation, not subject to conscription by another nation. They were looking for an immediate move for the kingdom to come. And Jesus, up until this point, it seemed like all the hopes and expectations uh, were, could, be, could be fulfilled in this one. This one who was born of a virgin. This one who was baptized uh, in the Jordan. This one who, who, who went out into the wilderness and was tempted. And he, and he came out without, being, uh, without uh, failure, right? Without sinning. Without surrender. This one who has been going around and he's been able to heal the lame and, and, and cause the blind to see and cast out demons. But just before this, just before this, there was some doubt about this. John, who was in prison, sends some of his disciples and says, are you the one? Are you really the one? And then Jesus begins to tell them, hey, listen, y'all can't be satisfied. At the end of chapter 11, he says, y'all can't be satisfied. You're like, you're, like, you're like children saying, hey, you know, put on a show for us and, and, and play us a song so we can dance. And that's not good enough. And tells a sad story so we can mourn. And that's not good enough. And then Jesus begins to tell them, hey, y'all need to really get the understanding, the reality that this kingdom that is coming is going to take some time. This kingdom that is coming will be like a seed, like an almost imperceptible seed if you held it in your hand. And you throw it into the ground and you wait. And you wait. And instead of pulling it up, Throwing it outside of your raised garden bed, you wait. And when it is grown, the next one that he tells is about a woman. So he uses the image of a farmer, of a of a husbandman, and then he uses an image of a woman. In the kitchen. Ladies, have you ever been in the kitchen? Have you ever been preparing something in the kitchen? It says, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. And of course, we know the process here. You don't have to take an equal amount of leaven. And put it into an equal amount of meal. But just a little bit. And then you begin to work it. And knead it. And work it. And knead it. And work it. And knead it. And little by little. Little by little. That leaven works its way into the whole lump. That whole lump is able to rise. 
Whenever it's baked, it's able to bring some beautiful aromas. And whenever it's cut, and I don't know how they prepared it, but I like mine with a big old slab of butter on it. When it's cut, and whenever it's buttered, you take a bite of it. It's tasty. And not only is it tasty, but it provides something that your belly needs. It's filling. It's satisfying. And you don't take and put all the leaven in there at once, but you put a little bit of leaven and you work it in. So, this morning I want us to kind of get away from this conceptual idea that this is the way that the kingdom comes. I think we have established this. And this kingdom, listen, guess what? Here's something that I think that we should understand. If we understand that the kingdom is present and still yet to come, right? Jesus didn't say, hey, whenever I come back, then the kingdom's going to happen. Jesus says, I'm going away, but I'm sending you my spirit. And this kingdom, which is so close, it's like a hand, like you can touch it, is going to be this kingdom that you can live no matter what kingdom earthly kingdom you live under. So the P Apostle Paul didn't go, oh man, we can't live the kingdom as kingdom citizens. He told people in Philippi, in a Roman colony, he says, you're really citizens of heaven. And guess what? You Roman uh, citizens in the colony, in the Roman colony of Philippi, you should live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven because that's where your real citizenship belongs. And so I encourage us, it doesn't matter what legislation comes that we agree with or we disagree with. Our citizenship is not first and foremost in America. It's in the kingdom of heaven. That is, is now present, a reality. And it is still yet to come. Right? We're still waiting to see the full bush the full uh, mustard seed tree come to fruition. But I can promise you right now, uh, whether we're in sapling stage or, or we're we are in some kind of growth stage, the kingdom is at hand. You and I get to live it. Here's the deal. We are still so often looking for the big moments of the kingdom. We don't just look for them without, we look for them within. And so here this morning, what I want to encourage us with is this uh, valuation, this appreciation that the kingdom comes bit by bit. That, that the kingdom is 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 alive in the mundane and that it's through the mundane through these routines and rhythms and regularities that we actually see the excuse me see the kingdom and we see our character lining up with the kingdom it's through this that we see the kingdom really really begin to unfold and um, and I would go further to say this 
that if we're only looking for the big moments, we think that that's what God wants of us? Without us doing the bit by bit, we probably will never get to the big moments. And actually, what we will find is that a lot of big moments under scrutiny took a lot of bit by bit before it was revealed, whoa, this has been going on the whole time. So, in order for us to do that, in order for us to do this, I have two things that I think that we should value. We should value the present. The, uh, the time we are in right now. Every time that it is right now. And then, uh, I believe we should value the accumulation or the cumulative effect of accomplishments. So those are my two things that I'm going to submit to y'all this morning. To value the present and to value the cumulative effect of accomplishments. So, to value the present. My friend Jack preached a message here a few years ago. And he began the message saying, I have an adversarial relationship with time. What was his adversarial relationship with time? Y'all probably have always seen this and experienced this. There's times when you want time to rush Rush along because you are anticipating something. You are eager for something. Maybe it's two o'clock in the afternoon. Your eyes are heavy and you still have a few hours left of work and you are going, I want time to hurry along. And time seems to slow to a crawl. Maybe on another day, you have so much work on your plate, and you're going, I don't know if I'm going to get this all done by 5 p.m. whenever I have to clock out. And I want to get it done by 5 p.m. because I don't want to have it waiting for me tomorrow. And I don't want to feel pressure or anxiety that I need to get it done whenever I get home or that I need to stay a few minutes late. And the next thing you know, you look up and you've been working away and it is 5 p.m. Time has just rushed right along on you. Have you all experienced it? Have you experienced this? My friend Jack, uh, uh, the story that he told, I think, uh, is one that can uh, hit on all of our heartstrings. It's a good romantic tale. He was a, um, a police officer in the Dallas uh, Police Department uh, after he graduated from uh, college. And, uh, and the story around that is fun. And I think he mentions it every time he has an opportunity because it started as, as a practical joke, uh, which turned into a reality for him. But uh, he was living in Dallas. Uh, his fiance, his future bride, Diana, who is still his bride today, uh, she was living here in Houston. And every so often, she would, uh, it would get on the calendar that Diana was going to come in uh, for a couple days while he was off work. And uh, he said that I would put that, that date on the calendar and, you know, maybe it was a couple weeks out in, a, uh, out, uh, in advance that I would be looking at that date on the calendar and, and time would just take so long until he would go pick her up and, uh, in his police cruiser from Dallas Love Field. 
He said, but then he would have about 36 hours with her. He said those 36 hours would feel about like 36 minutes. And at that time, they had been married for 37 years. And he said those 37 years feel about like 37 minutes at times. We've all experienced that, haven't we? Now, I submit to you, uh, as Jack would, that there is a reason why we have an adversarial relationship with time. And that is because you and I were not intended, designed, created to live, to be stuck by the confines of time. That's not to say that there was not time invented at the beginning. Remember, in Genesis, it says there was the morning and there was the evening and there was the first day. God established, he ordered, he created time. But what I mean by us being limited to the confines of time is there was another thing that happened in that early story of Genesis. Adam and Eve disobeyed the warnings, the admonitions, the commands of God. And he said, if you do this, if you eat the fruit, death will come. Death has now put a time limit on all of us, has it not? So you and I have this natural adversarial relationship with time because now we know that time is a precious commodity. Time is a precious resource. You and I don't get more time. All you and I can see is time is ticking, ticking, ticking away. So we have a natural adversarial relationship with time, but I would commend to you this. I would commend to you this, that we, we make it worse. We make it worse. We have this natural adversarial relationship which we, we add enmity to. We add frustration to. We, we, we keep on hostility when we want to rush time along because what we're doing right now is not very fun. And I'm talking about right now, right? This moment here. Or when we want time to slow down. When we are trying to rush time along, we are not valuing the present moment. When we are wanting time to slow down, we have a value of the present moment, but we have an anxiety. We are living in an anxiety that this present moment will soon be gone. And so we've actually lost lost the appreciation of being in the present. So how does this look like in our lives? You and I. What does it look like for us to value the present moment? Well, let me ask you this. And I'm not saying anything that's uh, that I'm not uh, uh, guilty of myself. Does valuing the present moment with your family and friends uh, 
look like you sitting on your phone, scrolling social media, instead of engaging with the people who are right in front of you. Have you all ever seen that happen? Have you ever been in a public setting where instead of somebody seeing you, valuing their time with you, they are too preoccupied with something else that's going on? How many of y'all would know this, that sometimes whenever you feel bored, you feel unsettled, what, you have, what we have been able to do is not only could we go and we can find ourselves uh, you know, turning on the TV, looking for an escape or distraction that way, we can find ourselves on our cell phones, you can find yourself even doing some good things, busy things. Here's something that I think that is interesting. I don't think you and I know that it's okay for nothing to be going on. Do you know that? Do you know it's okay for you just to be? Just to sit there. Without the pressure the anxiety or the accusation that says you're not doing enough because you have a moment to relax. So to value the present, don't misunderstand me to mean that that means that we have to fill up all of our time. To value the present is to appreciate the present as it is. To understand its value and its worth for you right now. And I would challenge us even to say that I think most people in our generation would say if you're valuing your time, you are filling all of your minutes. And so I don't want to be misunderstood and heard that way. Uh, valuing time, I see in a story, uh, I see in stories throughout Scripture, I see it in the story of Joseph. And the story of Joseph is the story of this uh, young man who was sold into slavery by his brothers. And this young man who was sold into slavery by his brothers ends up in this Egyptian's home uh, where he is his slave. And Genesis 39 tells us that while he was a slave in this foreign master's home, he gained favor with his foreign master. And whenever I think about that practically, I think that uh, he valued 
being right there where he was at. Taking advantage of that time. Or as Ephesians would say, redeeming that time, that opportunity. Could you imagine if he was sitting there in Potiphar's house and every day he was grumbling and complaining because of his predicament? How much favor would he have gained by Potiphar? Have you ever been in a grumbly, complaining state? No, I have. I have found that whenever I am grumbling and complaining, I don't bring a lot of grace around me. A lot of people don't look at me and go, oh man, you know what people look at me and say? They say, oh man, here he goes again. And if you don't know that that's what people are doing, that's what people are doing whenever you grumble and complain as well. And maybe we should talk about us having a little bit more grace with one another. All I'm telling you is a practical reality. Nobody likes to hear it, do we? And if I'm a slave master and my slave is coming in and every day he is wishing that he were not in this present moment and he was longing for another moment. And he was making it known not only through his, through his grumbling and complaining, but through his attitude. I would imagine that that would not make me very favorable to that young slave, nor would that make his work very productive. And so, let's value the present opportunity of time. On the flip side, what I do see is this. Here's a young man who was in a, in a place that none of us would wish him to be. He's experienced hell on earth. He has been not only mistreated he's been outright hated and rejected by his own kinfolk and, and why did they hate him they hated him out of jealousy envy this kid was in such a terrible i mean any one of us, if we looked and we read the story and it said Joseph showed up and he was miffed and he carried a chip on his shoulder, all of us would understand Joseph carrying a chip on his shoulder. But it's remarkable. It's remarkable. And that's what makes the story remarkable, that he doesn't have a chip on his shoulder. And what we find, and this is why I really want us to understand, what we find is why, why could Joseph value the present? It has nothing to do with, you know, all the self-help motivation things that we can think about that can be true. And I do not disagree with all of them. But here's the theological reason. Because the Lord was with him. Because Joseph understood that the Lord was with him right there in Potiphar's house as much as he was with him in his father's home whenever he had the multicolored coat and he was getting doted upon. 
The Lord was with him is the refrain of the story of Joseph. And here's what I want to impress this point this morning is this understanding that if you can value the present, it's not for all the uh, the, uh, practical or even secular ways in which we could value the present, but it is we should value the present because right now the Lord is with us. He's with us. He's not ahead of us saying, come on, hurry up. He's not behind us, pushing us. He's not saying you're taking too long. And where do we see this? Well, we see it throughout scripture. It's the great promise that Jesus gave to his disciples at the end of Matthew. Look, behold, pay attention. I am with you always. I am with you always. How is he with us always? He's with us always through his spirit. The spirit that indwells us, the spirit that bears witness with others who are filled with his spirit, the spirit that leads us to all truth, the spirit that empowers us to walk as children of light, even as we are the children of light. I'm with you always. So we know this, but I also think Psalm 23 is a really good reminder of this. Learned this this last week, so I'm giving you all some uh, fresh stuff off my brain, um, but uh, I, I believe you will appreciate it. Psalm 23, we are all familiar. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Yet even though I might walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You even prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's how we have it commonly come to uh, uh, memorize this and be able to recite it in the English. Most of us uh, are familiar with the King's English and because there's such a familiarity with that, a lot of the modern translations don't vary too far from it. But did you know this? Because I did not, but I think it's really neat. There's 55 words in the original Hebrew of Psalm 23. 55 Hebrew words. The very center of those 55 words are three Hebrew words, thou art with me. Is how they would translate into English. So that means you have 26 words before. You have 26 words after. And right in the middle, you are with me. And in the first 26 words, God is addressed in the third person. The Lord is my shepherd. He does this. But then it turns, the whole passage turns on You are with me. It's this acknowledgement. It's this recognition. You're not just my shepherd that I talk about. You are the one that I am talking to. You are with me. 
and from the rest of the psalm. The direct address to God. Your rod, not his rod, his staff, your rod, your staff, it comforts me. Now, he will prepare a place. No, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. So, there's this acknowledgement, this understanding in the psalm. God is not one that we are talking about. He's the one that we're talking to. And why are we talking to him? Because he's with us. And so, we'll get to the second part of this message next week. But this morning, what I would encourage us with is if we are going to understand that God does much in the mundane, we have to value the present, but the valuation of the present. The valuation of the present hinges upon you and I understanding that God is with us. He's with us. He's with you. And so let's unpack this. He's with you every step of the way. Every little by little bit by little bit, every moment by moment, He is with you. So let's think about that. Sometimes whenever He's with us, He has a word for us. Sometimes when he's with us, he just sits with us. He's just, he just is with us. Now here's the question. If that's the last thing that Jesus said to his disciples, or one of the last things that he said to his disciples, one of the last things that he said to his disciples was, I'm with you always. There's not a moment that I'm not with you. In the good times, I'm with you. In the hard times, I'm with you. In those big dare to be great moments, I'm with you. In those slow, nothing seems to be happening moments, I'm with you. If it's one of the last things that Jesus said, how important is it for you and I to really take hold of it? How important is it for us? And I would conclude and say this. The reason why much can be happening in the mundane is because Jesus has told us, I'm always with you. So he didn't say, I'm with you on the day of Pentecost, and then I'm going to retreat away for a little while. And then whenever there's another large crowd gathered, I'm going to be with you then. And when somebody needs to be healed, I'll be with you then. 
And whenever I need you to give up a kidney, I'll be with you then. No, he said, I'm going to be with you through it all. Through it all. That's where I think that we really get the value of the present. It's not because of time itself, but because of the one who's present in time with us. And with that, I say amen. Uh, Lord, I love you. I thank you for who you are. Uh, God, I pray and I ask that you would just please be with us this morning. Uh, Lord, as we recognize you are with us, your rod, your staff that comfort us. Uh, Lord, I pray and I ask that you would just please attend to us, uh, speak to us, uh, fill us with your spirit. Use us this week in little ways. Allow us to be used in big ways. Uh, Lord, help us to appreciate, value the moments we have this week. the opportunities that are in those moments. Uh, Lord, I love you. And I pray that you would be with us if we receive from you. I pray these things in Christ's name. I'm going to invite you just for a few minutes to talk to God about what God's talking to you about.